Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, Andrew Dewing will talk you through the current market, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice. He will also be interviewing a leader in the world of agriculture and finishing up with Farm Chat, which includes his favourite bit, where he tastes beer for free. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and his market report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Market Report for week commencing 25th of February 2019. I better start with uh, apologising to the farming community for going on holiday. I, I disappear for one week and the market collapses, so it's the power of our podcast is, is obviously having an effect. I'm back, so maybe maybe the slide will stop. Yeah, it's taken a hammering, and I think that none of us feel really shocked by it. And, and having just gone through my trading position of what's happened in the week, the market's gone down without any major purchases of grain on our part, which means either we're completely rubbish at paying the right price, or there's a whole load of traders that have sold it, and farmers haven't yet come onto the pitch. And, and I think normally we, we have our share. So I don't think that many farmers have sold during the process of this collapse. So uh, let's keep it in perspective. These are still historically very, very good prices. It's way above cost of production. It's not the end of the world, but it is rather disappointing. And obviously there's a few damaged egos or prides out there. So we'll start with barley prices. Um, that took a bit of a pounding before I went away. A rough valuation for that spot is about 140. That's a kind of finger in the air price because there aren't many buyers of it. And looking at new crop, harvest price, 120. Wheat, that's the, the biggest commodity to trade. We would say that spot... Well, let's say May May is worth at the moment this morning 165x, but with a very turbulent market, this will probably be out of date by the time I get to three o'clock this afternoon. So currently 165x for old crop feed wheat. Um, that's quite a drop. New crop we would value at 143x for November or 140 delivered into one of our stores for immediate harvest movement. Yeah, I think those prices are still actually high with given the current weather conditions. Uh, yes, I know it's dry, everybody, but given the current weather conditions, that's actually perfect for lots of work to be done. We've got to make an assumption that it does rain. So I think that new crop prices are in reflection. Even though they've broken 150, I think they're likely to stay on the directional downward spiral at the moment. Sub 140x farm probably will be a bit of a barrier, but we shall see. Moving on to Aussie rape, that's also had a pounding. There's some strange things to happen in that. The US trade deal is getting very close to being signed, we're told. Uh, but in the time I've been away, the old crop market for, for May is 307x, which is about 13 off its best moment. And we were aiming at 330, if everybody remembers that. And that, that doesn't look very likely at this point. So not happy with that one. Harvest is still 300x. So it is the magic figure, plus obviously bonuses to come. So sorry to start this week's podcast with bad news, but I, th I think you've known it's gone on, you've seen it, and there's been enough uh, texts and messages going around. Let's see if it calms itself down this next week. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Ben Burgess Crop Storage offer a wide range of equipment from handling, processing and storage of harvested crops. From initial advice on any aspect of crop handling and storage, through to design, supply, build and installation of complete intake, drying, dressing and storage plants, 
The Ben Burgess Aftercare support team includes dedicated technicians who are also on hand to service all crop storage machinery too, so you're always looked after. Visit benburgess.co.uk or search Ben Burgess Crop Storage for more information on how the team can assist you. And now it's time for our feature. Doing Grain podcasts are here to open up the mysteries of the grain trade and inspire people to follow their beliefs, be it farmers diversifying or improving their marketing skills, or someone from the grain trade stepping out into something new. This week, we are giving the first of our education series, and the topic is options. Let's start with options. What are they? What can they do for you? How can I get to use them? I think number four will be, why doesn't all merchants offer them? And then number five will be lots of questions I've had along the way which are infuriating but quite funny. I think we'll start with number one, what are they? An option. If you could sell your wheat for £145 per tonne ex-farm for November 19, minimum price, or higher if the market was higher when you get to November 19, it would be a no-lose scenario for you. The person offering you that deal is buying the grain for 145 X farm and he is granting you the option of choosing a higher price if values have gone up. Unfortunately, that option comes at a cost. The trick is to get that cost as low as you can. The other thing to consider is if someone granted you an option saying I'll pay you 145 X farm for November wheat and it got to next November, and everybody in the trade was bidding you 170x farm, and yet the guy that you were trading the option with said, oh, no, 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 we're not paying that much. We've got a deal here. I started to pay you more money, but we're only paying you 160. It would kind of irritate you a bit, and more importantly, because there's no clarity or no transparency in how much the market's gone up, you're kind of stuck with the guy that's given you that option, and you haven't been bright enough to get a definitive way of measuring that price increase. So the only way to achieve a what we'll call transparent option is to give the farmer a price that is independently determined. So the London Wheat Futures contract, and in this case November 19 wheat, is £152 a tonne, which is where I got my £145 X farm value for Norfolk wheat because the basis is Norfolk wheat is £7 under North Futures. So you know at any point in time, that the London Wheat Futures contract is your barometer. So the ingredients of an option are, you need an ex-farm price, the cost, or what's known as the premium, of the option, and a stated value on the London Wheat Futures contract for a chosen month. In this case, for example, November 19, £152 a tonne at point of recording. So what can an option do for you? It can guarantee you a minimum price, or better, Probably the most important thing an option can do in these volatile times is it makes sure that you do not miss out. We've seen the market go to £200 a tonne on three occasions and any forward contract has always looked hideous against that price. So if you have an option, you are still on the pitch when the market's going up and that is a really important point. So let's give an example, I think is the best way around it. Let's imagine there is a major political threat that could reduce cereal prices. Let's also imagine the price of grain or the prices of grain are above the cost of production and are at historically high levels pre-harvest. Let's add a very good, healthy-looking crop with increased area uh, sown in the ground uh, due to perfect autumn and winter, and that includes Europe and Russia. God, heavens, that'd be a heaven-sent year, wouldn't it? Just imagine that happening. So you decide on the basis of your analysis that you want to sell some grain, 
and you think prices might well come down. So, for the point of an example, I'm gonna, we're going to publish on our Twitter page this scale that I've done, or the figures I'm about to quote. Let's assume 1,000 tonnes of expected production. And let's remember that all cereal prices are related to feed wheat. If someone wants to grow milling wheat, it is a premium over feed wheat. If someone wants to grow feed barley, it is a discount to feed wheat. Everything has a relationship to feed wheat, which is London Wheat Futures. In the case of malting barley, it has to be a big enough premium to get a lower yield and take the risk of growing malting barley. And it comes quite often back to a contract with a premium over London feed wheat. So, a 1,000 tonnes of production, and we'll take cost of production of feed wheat to be £130 a tonne. I'm not going to be able to argue about that because no one's in the room to do that with me, but 130 So your net break-even cost will be £130,000. The current market value is 145x farm, £7 under the NOV 19 futures price of 152 as we speak. Seller A sells 40% forward, which is incredibly brave. There he is thinking the whole market's going to come down, so he sold 40% forward. How outstandingly brilliant that he let 60% not be sold, knowing or thinking the market is still going to come down. And I apologise for anyone getting offended at this, but if you really think about that as a dynamic, it is a little bit on the dim side. However, you don't know what's going to happen next, and you keep some up your shirt just in case. 40% sold forward at 145 would give you £58,000. If it got to November 19 and the price had gone up to 170, you sold the remaining 600 tonnes at 170, giving you £102,000, the net return would be £160,000. If, however, the market decided to drop and you sold and the market went down to 120, the 60% that you hadn't sold or the 600 tonnes you hadn't sold would only give you a £72,000 return, which would give you a net return over all the tonnage of 130, which is break even. Seller number two, or seller B, he sells 100% forward using options. So he's got a contract that says £137,500 worth of net income. In other words, a contract for £145 a tonne, taking off £7.50 worth of option premium. Let's put an option premium in there at £7.50. They can be more, they can be less. Let's put that in there at around that value at the moment. His net return is £137,500. If the market goes up to 170, he will sell all of his wheat for 170 and he will deduct the £7,500 he paid for the option, giving him a net return of 162500 It beats the guy who sold forward 40% by £2,500. More importantly, if the market went down to 120, he has already sold all of his crop at £137,500. He's got his return already secured. He knew his minimum price all those months ago. Seller C does nothing and waits to see what the crop in the barn. He wins heavily if the market goes up to 170 because he sells all of it for £170,000 and he beats the option by £7,500 and he beats the part forward seller by £10,000. If, however, the market goes down, he ends up with £120,000 return, which means not only has he, well, he's wasted his time, really, he's, he's grown something that's lost him £10,000 for his efforts. And the man who sells 100% forward would get £145,000 regardless. He sold everything forward. If the market collapsed on everything, he would win. Um, If the market went up, he would heavily lose. And that's the most important other point of the option is, if the market went up dramatically, 
he doesn't get the £25 has gone up. Whereas the option and the guy who's still got some stuff to sell has got the benefit of that. So the option gives you two things. A guaranteed minimum price, in the case of this coming harvest, a guaranteed profit. And it means you're still on the pitch if the market decides to rally significantly. Look out for that page on our Twitter page. So how can you get to use them? Well, the obvious thing, this is the Doing Grain podcast, so not to spell out the completely absolute obvious phone Doing Grain. Assuming you aren't going to do that because you're one of our newbies or who knows, someone who's just coming into learning these things. Certainly my customer base have been trading them for the best part of 30 years and we do it as a matter of course with lots of our customers. And the confidence it gives is great. It's a much easier process. And many years ago, I did lots of talks for the what was then the HGCA trying to encourage farmers to use options. How do you get to do them? Doing grain, option A. Two, you can open a futures account and buy them in the marketplace. Now, I could put you in contact with someone who would open an account with you. In my experience, farmers are not fond of paying money out against a crop before it's harvested, unless it is for seed, spray, fertilizer, etc. Options, you have to not only pay for the option premium up front there and then, you also have to have money lodged with the, the futures company that is effectively just tied up, just being there. Now we, we have that because we're a professional trading firm, as do most big merchants, because they've obviously got a futures account. But it is something that farmers are not particularly fond of. The alternative is you can ask other merchants to quote you, in my experience, that's where it dies a death. Um, excuse number one, oh, they're very complicated. I don't think you should be dealing with them. They're really strange. Best thing you could do is join our pool. Excuse number two, we cannot get any quotes or options. We've tried and we just can't get any. No, no. So I think the best thing for you is join our pool. Excuse number three, futures and options are traded by devils and witches. You better save yourself and your family. Join our pool. Bluntly, I'll come on to why most merchants don't use them. Either phone us up. There are one or two guys out there who get it. If you know the futures trader at some of these companies, they may well be able to do a specific deal for you. But bluntly, you're going to be finding it quite hard work. All options that we grant to farmers are bespoke X your farm options. We'll come on to that again in a minute. So why don't all merchants offer them? Let's be a little harsh, but a little true here. Uh, most grain buyers are not traders. They are lovely, smiley people who know the name of your dog and remind you when your wife's birthday is. And they're given a story or a script on a mobile phone as they drive up the drive or they sit in their office to tell you in order to gain your business. Their objective is to gain your business because they've got a mortgage to pay. And I, I get that. I've been there and it is an important thing. They provide a very good role. They actually are a buffer from the horrid trader person. They have a bit of sympathy for you and there's someone to talk to when it's a wet, miserable day and you're kicking tires in the yard. But if you wanted an option from them, one, they do not know how they work nor to their sales managers, nor to the regional managers, and many of their traders actually don't know about them either because they're not part of the portfolio that the big firms offer. The godlike superstar that is allowed to trade futures within the bigger companies, and there is a number of them, and they are godlike superstars, but they've not got the time to manage them for you, and they haven't got the time to discuss them with you. And if you did do an option, it would have to go through him, down to the next trader, down to your sales manager, down to the rep, down to... So by the time you've had the Chinese whispers in the conversation, no one really understands what the hell's gone on anyway. And there's a massive opportunity of time lapse, which could mean the market's moved quite a lot in that period. So what you're likely to get from a bigger company, because they've got other things on their plate, is a little pat on the head, be a good boy, and you got it, join our pool. The grain trade has shrunk. Most major companies do not need to offer options. 
Who gets the benefit? The farmer. So why provide extra service for no extra reward? Join our pool. In other words, you are the beneficiary and it costs them money and time to do something and their margin does not expand. So I kind of get why they don't do it. Super tankers can't actually get down there and pull someone out of the water. A speedboat can, and it's that dynamic. And I'm kind of hoping that somewhere out in there is some young people in this grain trade who a little seed of inspiration is going to come from this podcast to say, do you know what? I reckon I can do that, and I reckon I could offer options, and I reckon I can set a business up that's going to give farmers a really useful service. So let's move on, and please bear in mind that you can re-listen to this tutorial, so you can go back. Stuff it doesn't sit with you straight away. Just go back over it, and you'll get to grasp some of the stuff I'm saying. So you know, go over it two or three times, and you'll get in your head the simplicity of the product. In the end, you're going to need to speak to someone who understands them to, uh, to identify whether it works for you and whether it doesn't. And also, some years it's going to be fantastically obvious to use them and other years it isn't but whatever you can have a conversation with someone who says it's the right thing to do or actually at the moment it's not important point so favorite question from farmers when i've stood in front of them and talked about these things if i pay seven pound fifty for an option who makes all that money well i have a very good tip on that don't worry about it whoever is granting that option to you is receiving a quantified profit in exchange for an unquantified possible loss in the example I gave of it going up, the market going up to 170, he would effectively be losing £25 a tonne for a £7.50 reward. So he's £17.50 loss staring him in the face. All you have to worry about is to use an option as a tool. The objective is you want a minimum price for your product as a guaranteed profit, or you want to still be on the pitch if the market starts to roar upwards. Use an option like you use your tractor. You know what to do, get in, turn the key, off you go. Or a spade, dig it in the ground, turn the soil over. It is a tool to be used. You don't have to understand how it works. Just secure your minimum price and get on with farming. If there's extra profit in that option, it comes to you. It actually walks towards you and says, here I am. So finally, I want to perhaps give away a little bit of my secrets. This is the grain trade aspect of it. And for clarity about how we do this, I'm going to tell people online how we do this. Um, and it's important because if we granted specific London options against farmers, we would be in trouble. What we do is we buy ex-farm grain. We deduct a premium. If I grant an option to a farmer, it's for his ex-farm grain. I'm giving him a minimum price and I'm saying, if the price goes up, we will give you more money. We deduct the premium from the agreed price. So if the premium for the option was £7.50 and the current price for November 19 is 145 I would send the farmer a contract for £137.50. If the market goes up, and because we've put in the special terms a reference price of London wheat futures at that given moment in time, it gives the farmer the opportunity to measure how much the market's gone up. It is not an option on the London exchange because his is an ex-farm price, but it gives him a measure of what the market's gone up independently or transparently so it's absolutely clear. If the market like this last year went up in July to £200 a tonne, you could fix it then or you could wait till November thinking it might go up some more, but you could fix it then. And at that point in time, we would alter the price of your ex-farm contract. We would add whatever the profit was that we agreed to your contract and your £137.50 would turn into £162.50 or something like that. 
all monies are paid for the grain and the increase in price at the time of the contract movement. It is an ex-farm contract for physical feed wheat from a farm. All option-related contracts have to have physical grain attached to them. We do not and will never grant options without physical grain attached. As I say, the stated value of futures is put in the special terms to give farmers that independent analysis. All options are related to the specific ex-farm deal between doing grain and the farmer. Doing Grain independently buys options in the UK, French or US markets. We will buy call options or put options, and I haven't gone into what those are for farmers. That's a detail we can talk about if you phone us up. We buy options as a hedge against the options that we give to farmers. Because I learnt in 1994, I granted a load of options and I didn't have options hedged. And the market dramatically went up and cost a lot of money for the company I worked for. And it was the best experience for me and the worst experience for them. But every trader thinks he's God. I found out I wasn't. The point being, we do buy options, but they're not necessarily directly linked specifically to the ones that we give to farmers. Now, I hope following this that we get some new customers, and I hope following this there is a seed in someone's head or some people's head that says, do you know what? I think I can set up a small merchanting business and actually drive a speedboat instead of being one of the guys on the super tanker. Now it's time for Farm Chat. Right, this week we're going to have a little chat about skiing, because I've just been, and I've got Josh with me this morning. Good morning. This week on the on the beer tasting, uh, we're going to give it a miss. I've had a very heavy week, and I've got to say, I'm going to give a recommendation along the skiing lines. That if you ever go to Italy or, or certain parts of France, do not drink a drink called Brulio, which is basically a local Italian wine dregs drink that they kind of stick some more alcohol in and brew up and, and put them in bottles. And it tastes like axle grease. I had one of the party we went with, Party Pete, his name was. He decided that we'd have one night where we were just going to drink Brulio, and I will never ever drink it again and I definitely don't recommend it so this week beer I can't face it and Brulio is a no-go I went on a bus transfer from Milan to Santa Catarina which is a four-hour trip and on my bus was a farmer not one of my customers I'll add obviously we got talking about grain markets because because we neither of us can talk about anything else he said hey what's gonna happen then lad that's my northern impression and i said uh, not very good nottinghamshire accent i accept i said it's gonna go down dennis and he said oh well we'll, we'll see then and uh, by the end of the bus journey the market was two pounds fifty lower and not only that, for the rest of the week, it continued to drop. And uh, I must admit, I did have the smug grain trader, farmer by the toe moment for the entire week. It never recovered. And uh, he was very, very good humoured about it, despite my teasing him about not taking advice from merchants the minute he hears it. Anyway, Josh, you're here because you were a ski instructor. Yeah, and you're gonna, ago. we're going to ask you some questions about skiing etiquette because you skied with me a few times and told me how rubbish I look and how uh, I do <laughs> things wrong. So please fill everybody in on, on what they should be doing. Um, I think a, a couple of things. There's obviously it's very exciting to go skiing and everyone loves skiing. You know, you're generally going once a year, but you don't have to turn up to the airport wearing all of your ski clothes. <laughs> I think that's just something that it's very obvious going skiing. Everyone knows you're going skiing. You're on the same flight together. You're on the same bus journey. You don't have to wear. Your gloves, your hat, your sunglasses, and your jacket, yeah, your brightly coloured jacket. But Josh, you're, you're not married, are you? 
No, no, uh, no. And, no. and therefore, you haven't got a wife that's packed so many things, you're never going to wear them. So you, 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 you've got them on because you can't actually physically fit them into the suitcase. Or, or my, one of my favourites, I think, we, I went just before Christmas and there were, uh, there were three families going together. One of the very organised members of the group had everyone wearing matching jumpers. And I just, you know, <laughs> nothing says Brit abroad or anything quite like that, I don't think. But, uh, Some other tips, then. While you're actually on the slopes. Um, while you're on the slopes, uh, remember that... You're probably not going to be as fit as you were when you finished your ski trip last year. And that, you know, if, let's say, take, I've got a friend I'm going skiing with, and he's probably 16, 17 stone, very experienced skier. But last year we had a race together, and he skied, I think, a year about 92 kilometres or something, 92 kilometres an hour, which is pretty quick. But when you're just weighing sort of 16, 17 stone, and there are, you know, young families or, or kids in front of you, and you plough into them, you know, you could potentially, you could do some serious damage. Just remember that there are other people out there. Yeah. And you've got to be a bit careful with what you're doing. Thanks for that, yeah. Dad. Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. But no, it's, it, it is, it's just one of those things. And, and also, when you've got your skis on your shoulder, don't just swing them around. I think oh, it's, man. it's, it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, poke someone's eye out. That, yeah. is, that is, I find that very irritating. It, it, it does, yeah, it is quite amusing. What about, um, what about queuing for the lifts? I, 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 I play a game of, there's two sorts of racing a ski slope. One going down, not, not maiming children. And the other one is getting on the lift first and acting like a German. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, Schnell. <laughs> some people very much love to to kick each other's skis or try and push on this. You're not going to any, you're not going to get on any quicker. No, oh, I don't know. Just um, <laughs> it's a very French thing, but you know, there, there's quite a lot of very keen people that like to just desperately get on there. And yeah, you don't want to be one of those people. No one ever likes them. All right, clothing. What about clothing? Have I what have I done wrong with my my uh, uh, style over the years? Uh, in the last twenty years, you've definitely seen a, a big swing towards uh, towards helmets, which is very sensible. But people still wear glasses and helmets. Now that just looks stupid. You should really be wearing goggles. Never wear glasses and helmets ever. Why? It's just I'm not going to say cool, but it's just not done. It's not the right thing to do. You can take take wear take glasses and wear them at lunchtime, but don't ever wear glasses and a helmet. You just no one's ever looked good. Look. I'm going to confess, I didn't wear a helmet, and I was about one of the only ten people I saw who didn't, all of them my age or older. So I had my shades on, and my uncool hat, and my very uncool jacket, which didn't match, I'm told. Yeah, I... Uh, okay, helmet. Uh, yeah, you can wear the helmet, go for it, but wear it with goggles. Um, they're designed to block the sunlight out, and they go together, not with glasses. Okay, what, what other things? Jeans are a no. You might think you look cool in jeans, but you don't. Um... <laughs> You really don't. Says you. <laughs> yeah, says me. Says, yeah, anyway. Okay. What should you wear there, then? Uh, Just some... Wear your salopettes. And also put them over your ski boots. I think, we've got a, I think you've got a brother who actually skied in a Borat. Uh, did he ski in his Borat little number one? I can't no. remember. No, he didn't. I remember when I was, I was, I was away uh, doing a ski instructor thing in, in Canada, and England played Wales in the Six Nations, and two of my friends who were doing the instructor course were Welsh, and, uh, and I had a bet with them that if England beat Wales, they'd have to ski down from the top of Jasper to the bottom in just their boxes and England lost so I had to ski down from the top to the bottom of my boxes and that was it was like minus five it was yeah not a good look by the end okay what about so and you know I think you said something about jackets being open as well what's all um, about yeah I, th- I think you know you don't see ski instructors with their jackets open they just wear less layers if it's a warm day you don't have to wear a you know a t-shirt and a jumper and then your jacket on top maybe just wear a t-shirt and your jacket and, and try not to have it undone because you end up looking like Batman going down the slope <laughs> with a big cape behind you. So, 
Let's get for slowing you down. Yeah. Look, I, I, we're looking for ways to diversify, aren't we? Let's face it. And so maybe maybe doing grain ski fashion, doing ski trips, maybe doing ski trips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Going to it. There's an idea. Yeah. Right. Let's leave it at that for this week. I think. Good to be back, though. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies to help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio.